Hey there, welcome to the Crown Heights Insider Podcast. My name is Sean Bernemanov. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. We are very excited to present tonight a very fun and interesting interview with Jakob Biermann. Jakob Biermann is, of course, the longtime Crown Heights political operator, macher, behind-the-scenes Askin activist, man with many hats, who's who knows more than most about what's going on behind the scenes politically in this neighborhood. We had a passionate discussion, um, an interesting discussion, and actually a discussion that I that I hope will lead to more discussions like it in the future. You'll hear what I mean when we get to the interview. To start, just wanted to thank everyone for tuning in. The listener numbers continue to grow. The subscriber numbers continue to grow, and uh, we're very, very grateful for that. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send us your feedback to podcast at crownice.info. If you have questions for your host, if you have questions for any of our guests, please send us a question, and we'll learn to Shem feature it in the wrap-up episode at the end of this season, season one. If you are not yet subscribed to the show, please take the time to do that right now. It really helps us grow. Thank you so much for that if you've already subscribed. And of course, please tell your friends about us. And now without much further ado, let's get to our interview with Yaakov Biermann. Tonight on the Crown Insider, we are very, very, very pleased to welcome to the show Yaakov Biermann. Yaakov is a Crown community activist. He's a city macher, politics extraordinaire. Specifically, he's involved in something called Operation Survival, which is a drug prevention program. He is involved in Get Out the Vote efforts in our community. He's been an occasional spokesperson for um, Chabad Lubavitch. Welcome to the show, Yaakov. Thank you so much. It's great to finally be here. Yes, yes, yes. Long time in the making. So we're here to discuss a lot of topics. But the thing I think we want to discuss to start is there's something timely, something happening this Sunday, August 20th, a Sunday fun day festival, um, a Crown Heights unity event that uh, you have a little bit of a problem with. You wrote an article about it a few weeks ago for Crown Heights Info, and I think you wrote another article for the Jewish Journal about it. Well, uh, first of all, when you say I have a problem, I think every fear-minded American has a problem. Every fear-minded Jew, every fear-minded Jew has a problem with it. Essentially, on August 20th, which is the anniversary of the anti-Semitic murder of, of Yankel Rosenbaum, he was killed in an anti-Semitic attack. It's clear. His killers said, get the Jew. They stabbed him and said, kill the Jew. So I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. And on the anniversary of his murder, we have uh, several Jewish organizations hosting a fun festival with, with, with games, with rides, with cotton candy, with cotton candy and, and music and live music. In what world is that okay? You want to get together on, on a day like uh, August 20th and you want to commemorate the riots, have a conversation. There are other ways to remember. Have, have a, a day of prayer, a moment of silence. It's unacceptable to host a fun festival on the anniversary of the murder of anybody. And especially, on, I'm saying as, as with everything going on with anti-Semitism in, in, in New York and the increase in anti-Jewish violence now, it's completely, it's especially unacceptable to hold it on, on the anniversary of the murder of a Jew who was killed in an anti-Semitic attack. And I think there's a, a whole problem with this event, with this event which, which is beyond just the date. And first of all, the event organizers were told by the Rosenbaum family in 2016 by Norman of Blessed Memory, who was a giant. Whoever remembers uh, Norman Rosenbaum, he was, he was just a, he passed away recently, he was just a proud Jew, a tough Jew, a strong Jew. And he was such a voice of reason. And he told them in 2016, it's a disgrace, don't do it. And in 2016, it wasn't on the actual anniversary of his brother's murder, it was, it was a day or two later. But he had two issues with it. 
and, and, and I'm going to, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I can't speak for him, but I could tell you, I could try to, you know, sort of clarify what those issues were. Number one is the date in proximity on the day of um, on his brother's murder. Number two is that what happened during the riots? So, you know, 91, in August of 91, August 19th, there was a, a, a the Rebbe was coming back from the oil and a car following the Rebbe was hit by another car, spun out of control. And in a, in a tragic car accident, there was a, a, a black child, Gavin Cato, who was killed and, and uh, another, uh, another child who was injured. And as a result of the accident, there were riots, you know, riots started in Crown Heights and there were all sorts of rumors going around the neighborhood that it was intentional, that the driver was drunk, that Atsala refused to treat the black children. And all these rumors were proven to be not true. But those were all, you know, part of the, the you know, sort of inciting the, the violence, you know, during, during that period. And at about 11.15 at night, Yanka Rosenbaum was walking the streets around uh, President in Brooklyn. He was attacked by a mob. The mob screamed, get the Jew. And they screamed, kill the Jew. They threw him against the President in Brooklyn, the school there, against the fence. And they stabbed him. He pointed out his killer. And... Um, he died a few hours later in the hospital. Now, Yanka wasn't the only one attacked. He was the only one. He actually wasn't even the only one murdered. There was a Holocaust survivor who jumped out of a window thinking they were coming to get her. And there was also an Italian who was, who was mistaken for a Jew and killed around that time. And, of course, there was the tragic death of the child who died in, in the car accident of, of Gavin Cato. But in terms of murder, Yanka was murdered, and I, I, you know, the, the Holocaust survivor, I would say, was indirectly murdered by the rioters, and, and this other person who was pulled out of his car and killed as well. Now, if there's a group in society, let's say has an issue against government, against you know, the structure of, of, of the city, of society, and they would demonstrate, that happens all the time. We have it all the time. People feel they were wronged. They feel discrimination. They speak out. They demonstrate. Sometimes there's, you know, elements of violence, but, but that happens. What was unique about Crown Heights is that Jews were being attacked in the street. It wasn't the government. Shoals were being attacked. The demonstrations weren't in front of City Hall. They were in front of 770. Kosher stores were being attacked. My father was attacked. He was almost killed. And the city was saying, let them vent. Vent against who? Vent against fellow American citizens. Vent against Jews. I think it was Ed Koch that coined it, he called it a pogrom, because there was Jewish institutions and Jewish, um, the Jewish, Jewish residents of Crownites were being attacked. And the government was looking the other way. The police were looking the other way. That's, that's... And when you, hope, when you want to commemorate such events, such a dark time in American history, yes, there was an element of, of racial tension. We want to commemorate such a time, it's, you don't do it through a celebration. You don't do it through cotton candy. You don't do it through hot dogs. It was a pogrom, the only pogrom, to, to my knowledge, in, in American history. And maybe there are some people that have noble intentions, you know, by making this event. But the family told them in 2016, don't do it. There's, it, 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 it's, in, in my opinion, it's, it, it's tone deaf, it's offensive, and it's a disgrace. And, 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 and again, I'm all for bringing the community together. I think that's important. You know, Chalambert, we have in my house all... Very colorful Shabbos. We had the, the Philos Project uh, a, a few weeks ago, which is uh, an Evangelicus, you know, a group of, of, of Christians. We have, you know, we have very diverse, um, 
you know, I'm involved in Operation Survival operates in the public schools and yeshivas. I'm all for working together and bringing the community together in common cause. But you want to commemorate the riots. You want to commemorate the, the, the car accident that resulted in the death of Gavin Kedder. You want to commemorate the anti-Semitic murder of Yankel Roosevelt. Don't do it with cotton candy. The 1991 riots were a pogrom. Let's call it for what it is. And by the way, you should, if, if anybody wants to delude themselves into thinking that um, you know, you're going to bring the, on this, you're going to make this you know, fake narrative and bring people together, and that's going to, you know, you, you, there's no way. You want real healing? We have to be honest. You want to prevent this from happening again? We have to be honest about it. And I'll tell you an interesting story. In October, I believe it was October of 92, when Lemberg Nelson was on trial for the murder of Yankel Rosenbaum, and he was acquitted, by the way. So my father went down with Shia Hecht and Norman Rosenbaum to the courthouse for, for, you know, to, for the verdict. And my mother was scared that we should be home alone because we didn't know what the verdict is going to be. And the rumors were if Lemberg is convicted, there could be riots again. There was a concern. So my mother took us, me and my, my two siblings, to the National Committee offices, which was in a, there were a lot of police around that area. It was near 770. And we waited for my father as he was, you know, he, he was in, in, in the courthouse, you know, uh, awaiting the verdict. And I remember hearing the cries from 770 as the news broke that, that Lemberg Nelson was, was, you know, found not guilty, acquitted. And I remember walking outside and, and just the feeling in the ear. And, and afterwards, there was a demonstration a few weeks later. And, and the shouts, the cries were Jewish blood is cheap. You could kill an, an Orthodox Jew in an anti-Semitic attack in New York. There could be witnesses. He basically admitted to the killing, and, and you'll still be acquitted. Jewish blood is cheap. And if you want to know if this fun festival Sunday on August 20th, if they would rename it um, Jewish Blood is Cheap Festival, I think it would be more in line with the message it conveys, because that's how I see it. A Jew is m murdered. Don't you dare celebrate. That's a lot. That's, that's a lot of passion there. It's a lot of passion, but I think, you know, so far, whoever I've spoken to from either the African-American community, the Caribbean-American community, whoever's spoken to me, reached out to me about this, secular Jews, uh, Jews, Orthodox Jews from other communities, they say, what? How do they make men? How are they doing it on that date? So How could, you know what I told <laughs> Bob Kaplan, who's one of the leaders of this, I, saying, JCRC, he's involved in organize, you know, organizing this event for years. And, and I, I'm a friend of Bob. We go way back. But I called the Bob, the heads up, and writing this op ed. And he said to me, wait a second, it's on the anniversary? I'm, well, what way? That must have been a mistake. I said, Bob, buy a calendar. What do you mean? How do you not know? August 20th was the second day of the riots. It was the day Yankel died. He was stabbed on August 19th. So there's, this event's been happening for years. So it's happening at an inappropriate time. You make a very strong argument against why it shouldn't be happening. So the question is, why is it happening? Which organizations are doing this? Which people are making these decisions? Why are they unresponsive? And before you answer, I want to point out that on this podcast, we try to avoid blush and horror. We try to avoid causing fights for sake of fights, but this is something that where somebody is making a strong argument. People have been unresponsive to that argument, but people should know who, who is doing this so that we can understand why and have a conversation in an open way. Well, you asked two questions. Why are they doing this and why now? So why are they doing this? I'm going to tell you, follow the money. <laughs> 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 no, I don't know why they're doing this. I mean, if you want to you give people the benefit of the doubt, 
sure they want to bring people together. That. The riots were a terrible tragedy where there was a conflict, and they want to do an event that shows unity. That's maybe why, the, the, you know, the event, that's how it started. Who is the they? I, I, there's a flyer out. Everybody can look, look up the names of the organizations. And you want the Jewish Community Council as is, is a, is a major sponsor and, and organizer. Who in the council? I'm not naming names. It's not my place to but name names. But the council names. as an entity put their name on this. They, they are the lead organizer of this event, the council, the Jewish Community Council. And I think the date has to do with the fact that, it, you, you know, they have the three weeks before. And it's the best, they, they look at where, when they could bring the most people and when they could have the most entertainers and performers. And, you know, I, I said to them in 2016, I said, take the word fun, take the words fe festival off and do it in the winter. Yeah. Do it in another day. Well, we're going to have less people coming. It's going to cost more money. I said, so what? What are we trying to achieve here? So if, if I had to guess, I think it's also important that some of the organizations involved have no idea. When they see representatives of Crown Heights sponsoring and organizing events, especially non-Jewish elected officials, political leaders... They have the reason to assume that there's anything wrong right, with Right. It's not their job. They're assuming this, this makes sense. And I think that um, many people involved understand there's a problem, recognize there's a problem. This has been brought up in meetings of the organizers by... Um, representatives of mainstream Jewish organizations, but the organizers chose to ignore. And I really think maybe you should have them here and ask them why. They, why I'd love to. I'd I mean, to they've to, when I, the, the latest is that it's not the anniversary of the Hebrew yard site, so we don't have a problem. With, if it was the Hebrew yard site, it would be, it would be a, a problem, but not the English yard site, which I think I, I actually think the English yard site is worse, worse because it's sending a message to the world yeah. that we don't care. You know, and again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work to bring the community together. It's a necessity. It's critical. Just for the listeners who, who are not familiar with Yaakov's body of work, there's maybe no person in our community that's more engaged with the other communities that are in Crown Heights Thank you. Than, than Yaakov. That's clearly not about you trying to make the vision in our community. It's just about you're arguing that this is simply just in a super offensive timing to be doing I'm this. I'm saying the event is super offensive. The timing is super offensive. And I think that they should rethink the whole branding of the event. I, I, the riots, yes, there was an element of racial tension, but there was also, you know, it, 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 it's, we're commemorating a time in American history where, where, where there were, were attacks against Jews and the government said, let them vent. And the way to commemorate that is not through celebration. Okay. Strong, strongly argued. Thank you. An open invitation with anyone, any of the organizers of the event, have a rebuttal to Yaakov. We'd love to have you on to discuss that. So we could be both on together. hundred percent, hundred percent. So that leads into a larger question about your work in the community and what you've been doing. I would say there's a sense among many people who are a little bit aware of city politics, neighborhood politics, that the crisis community has not been getting good bang for its buck politically for a while now. We're not getting the voice in city politics. We're not getting the the consideration when it comes to things like where you put bike, where you, where you put city bikes, consideration in terms of zoning, the consideration of kinds of all these questions that come up in terms of where you put homeless shelters. There's the communities have a voice. Communities get to throw their power around. You know, we're a voting block. We have a number of votes. So the question, I'll, I'll ask two questions. The first question is why? Well, what, who said, well, first of all, what, why? You're assuming it's true. That we're not getting a bank for our buck? You're assuming it's true that we're so being treated so differently than other questions. groups. Three questions. First question, is that sense correct in any way? I, I think that in terms of government services, 
It's possible that other communities are, are you know, are providing more services. If it has less to do with government, more to do with us. Okay. Um, with regards to, to uh, uh, access, it's not true. We have probably more access or as much access as any Jewish community in the tribe. Access defined as... That means if we want to get the mayor on the line, get the mayor on the line. We want the governor on the line, get the governor on the line. It's correct that other Jewish organizations and communities are providing more services, but it has nothing to do with government, it has to do with us, with our incompetence and our inability to, you know. And, and by the way, there are a lot of services, and the schools are, are doing great, and, but social humanitarian services, and we, I mean, you have groups that are giving out free, you have Benji Stock, you have great organizations in Kranites, but government-funded organizations, you have less maybe than other communities. That's possibly true. Um, but like I said, it has nothing to do with government. It has more, more to do with us. What about stuff like so you mentioned you city bikes, So you mentioned city bikes. So, so that's a good point. So, so first of all, if you go to Bar Park, they just put now um, loading zones all over Bar Park. We were able to prevent it in Crown Heights. Uh, Dante from Community Board 9 you know, tipped me off that they're trying to put one on Kingston Avenue. We reached out to the city right away, and we were able to prevent that from happening. It's not true. City bikes is affecting everybody. Um, there are a lot of members of the African Caribbean American communities of Cranites that don't want city bikes. There are city bikes in Williamsburg. There are bike lanes in Williamsburg. What's unique about Williamsburg and Bar Park, which is different about Crown Heights, is that they have parts of Williamsburg which are exclusively Jewish. You have parts of Bar Park which are exclusively Jewish. Bar Park is represented by uh, Simcha Eichenstein, who's the assembly member, Simcha Felder, who's the se- senator. Penny Ringel, my dear friend, shout out to Penny, who's the district leader, who appoints judges, and also it's pr- pretty much all Jewish elected representing them. And the, uh, the community board 12 is, is, is Yidl Perlstein, is the, is, the, is the chair, and district leader is, is Barry Spitzer. Why is the community board important? Because the community board really is the liaison. When they put city bikes, they're supposed to reach out to the community board, and, and sort of they're supposed to give feedback. So it's, you, Kranites is different. They're very diverse. Another reason why Kranites is different is because we're using these city bikes. You know, when, when we went to complain to the city about the city bikes and we, and we complained, um, they, they ran the numbers and, like, we're using it, like, 95, the crazy, uh, crazy statistics how much we're using, and it all dropped Shabbos. Any given day, you go to Prospect Park, it's full of Bachem riding city bikes. Uh, some, I know a, a, a Schlich told me he drives it home every day. He, he's in, in Queens. Um, we're using it a lot. And there have been many requests from... There have been many... Where you, the members of the community are using city bike a lot. So it's unfair to say how come a place like Bar Park maybe has less city bikes. A, nobody requested it in Bar Park. B, there are parts of Bar Park that are exclusively Jewish. C, the, the ones that are there aren't being used like they're being used in Crown Heights. And I think what, what, what the activists have been trying to do is really work with the city to move locations, to you know, try to um, prevent, you know, you know, not take up as much parking. But you know, initially when the city bike came out, I thought, "Oh my God, this is the worst thing that happened." And I see, you know, younger light, and people tell me how much, how beneficial city bike is to them. Some people actually appreciate it, so I'm, you know, a little less negative about it. Um, you know, another point is which which is not completely connect, you know, connected. But you know, we had in Crown Heights have a, a terrible issue of people leaving um, trucks and cars, and you know, there's a there's a there's a, there's a a locksmith who has a truck on Union and, and I think it's Brooklyn for three years. He, it's his office, right? And we have just cars just left around Crown Heights and, and, and 
you know, this is, you know, it's a good thing to have mitzvah tanks, but there's six mitzvah tanks now in Granites. I'm not talking about the mitzvah tank that are, has historically been parked in right. Kingston present forever that has his grandfathered in. There's new mitzvah tanks. There's six new mitzvah tanks in Granites. Each one takes up, I don't know, four to six spaces, right? So when you're talking about parking, I really think we all have to do our parts. Yes, I think the city, a lot of people are upset about the city bikes taking a parking. The loading zones are going to take up more parking. I think it's valid. I think our city council, our government is anti-cars. We're moving in the direction of, of, of bikes, and, and they'll do anything to get rid of cars. And, yes, it may even be a design, some of these city bikes. You know, They don't care about cars, government today, city today, um, or the progress, a lot of the progressives. But when, when people come and say, oh, my God, the parking is an issue, I say, you're right, it's an issue, but why don't we as a community deal with parking, because it's not the only issue that's taking up parking. That's good to know. That's some more insight into behind the scenes of that. But let's say, for example, something like... Um... And by the way, the DOT did a terrible job with outreach. They did a terrible job, not just in Cronite, citywide. So they, put, they, they gave a map to the community board about where they're proposing to put city bikes, and then they put it in like different locations. <laughs> So they did a terrible job. I'm not defending the city for no, how they went about this. It's, it is, in what, it's not okay that, 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 that a store wakes up one day and finds city bike outside the store without any communication. Right. It's not okay. But is city bike uh, you know, the worst thing that happened and has issues with it, but there are also benefits with city bike. Right. Okay. Fair enough. But let's, let's talk about something like, for example, like zoning, about where homeless shelters are placed in Brooklyn. There's been a couple that have been put right near Crown Heights, right near our neighborhood. And there's been a corresponding rise in disturbed people hanging around and, and being threatening and being violent and being loud and being dangerous. Did, did we have a voice in that? Did we have anything to say about it's that? A, it's a good question, and I think it's a problem. I agree. Um, some of the issue is that developers are offering their properties to the city. Some of our brothers and sisters from the neighborhood are giving their properties to the city. I mean, if the developer is not offering it to the city, the city is not going to put a homeless shelter there, right? They're, right? they're not building their own properties. We now have a problem on, I believe it's Clarkson, where they're building a huge development on state land. And because it's on state land, the city really has no oversight on the zoning. So I know Assemblymember Cunningham has met several times with members of, of Anash, and they tried to figure out how to um, resolve this. I mean, obviously, there are elements of this project which are good. They're going to be affordable housing for, for seniors and uh, assisted, assisted living. But there are also elements that are problematic. Like you said, what happens if you have a shelter that's not uh, patrolled properly and somebody is uh, emotionally disturbed and goes and attacks somebody? Because it's true, Shalom Bear. A, a large percentage of the attacks in Cronites today are by emotionally disturbed people. So it's absolutely true we're seeing an increase in violence by emotionally disturbed people. Um, and it's also probably true that we have a, a, a large number of, of shelters in our neighborhood, but it's not only the city it's also that we're offering it to the city so I, I keep hearing themes of the city is you know not amazing but they can be worked with and if we had our act together a little bit better things would be a little different is that is that accurate is that fair i think about this i, I about social services it's fair i think about about uh, these are developers that own properties these are not these I mean, are not community uh, institutions and with the state laws on rent and all these different issues going on with the state, you can't necessarily blame. Yes, um, there, they, there's a blame that you know that they have to take some of the blame. But if somebody has a rent-regulated apartment where, where he has to pay, I don't know, he he's, he's can't charge more than $1,200, 
and his taxes go up, his insurance goes up, everything goes up, and he just and he, he has a huge mortgage, and the mortgage rates went up, and the city offers to put in assisted living, and he's putting people there that maybe are emotionally disturbed. Yes, it's easy for me to say, don't do it, but he's you're talking about you know tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars a month revenue. So it's it's easy to you know easy to talk it's easy to you know easy to complain but I, I'm not an owner of this building. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair not enough. Not yet, at least. So is it fair to say that we could be doing better though? With Absolutely. All that, with all that Absolutely. Okay. So let's 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 get to that because I know this is something you've been involved with for a while, especially with your get out the vote efforts, which we'll get into later in more detail. But when you tell people to go out and vote, you have to give them an aim, a goal. Vote for what? So. That's it comes to the question of what is the political, for lack of a better word, what's the political elite of our community? What's the plan? What's the goal? What are we, what, what are they offering? What <coughs> are asking they a good question. You're, you're, why should I vote? Why should you vote? Every election season, we see op-eds, we see flyers, we see handouts. Go out and vote. Go out and vote. Go register. And it's obviously in and of itself a good thing. Go out and vote. Make your voice heard. Add power to your community's voting block which will help us in a lot of different ways. But what specifically are we going for? Because I'll tell you what, I'm a 31-year-old, newly married person. I have a new baby. I look around and I think to myself, I will never be able to live in Crown Heights. This is the theme of this podcast before. We spoke to JJ Katz, who's a real estate agent about the real estate in Crown Heights. I will never be able to live in Crown Heights. I can't afford a car here. Even if I could afford a car here, having it is more aggravation than it's worth. Public transportation to get to my job takes 40 minutes for a five-mile ride. Life here is becoming increasingly... Um, expensive and unlivable, and it's hard to see how it's going to get better. So what is, what is, what is my community council? What <coughs> is my community political elite? What, is my, what are the machers and askanim? What are they offering me in exchange for me going out to vote? Well, first of all, I'm not going to talk for the council. I'm, I'm nothing to do with the council. Like, I, 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 I don't mean the council's in like the actual organ. I'm saying like the people who claim... We're not allowed to offer you anything to vote. It's against the law. <laughs> I don't mean... <laughs> but let me, let me answer your question. So first of all, I, I think I, it's a good question. It's an important question. And for the first time in my life, at least in, in the last five years, we are, are seeing how the elected officials affect our quality of life. Let's start with yeshivas. A lot of what's going to happen now with yeshivas are going to be determined by elected officials. It's critical that we vote to protect the yeshivas, to keep yeshiva education, to protect yeshiva education, to protect the way of life. You know, even if even if some yeshivas may have to, you know, change their curriculum slightly, and, and if they have to, you know, obviously in line with the religious beliefs, but how it's done and when it's done and what are the consequences are all going to be decided by elected. So that's clear. Crime is up as a result of elected officials. Laws were changed. Elected officials have been, you know, promoting anti, anti-police rhetoric. And as a result, there are less police um, applying to be policed. There are less police under force. There's a shortage of police. Crime is up as a result of elected officials. Yeshivas are in danger as a result of elected officials. And even like you said, EDPs, uh, people, buildings now are taking in. EDP stands for emotionally disturbed persons. Correct. People are taking in um, um you know, homeless shelters or uh, programs they wouldn't otherwise take in because of the laws that were passed regarding regarding rent, and 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 some of these laws are have good elements to it. You know, I'm not saying it's all bad, but because of that, the way the laws were written, they're I don't want to say they're forcing, but they're sort of encouraging some of these developments to take in homeless or to take in 
um, programs they wouldn't otherwise take in. And again, obviously, as Orthodox Jews, we want to support the homeless. We want to house the homeless. We want to feed the homeless. We're talking about that it should be properly monitored, that if somebody has an issue, there should be security there, and it should all be done properly, If again, if there's a need. I mean, if there was confidence that the police and any social services could handle an EDP, an emotion to stir person out on the street, causing a ruckus, then people would be less worried about it. Well, the cops can handle it, but if they take somebody and they, what That's happens, what, I mean. what, what, happens, I mean. saying, if, what happens next once they make an arrest? Right, right back on the street to do, to cause exactly. chaos so again. Every area of our life, from our religious life, from our, our, our small business, even now, there, there are all different new laws being passed, you know, that, that, that are affecting small businesses. And who represents us is going to have a major impact. And in addition, the Rebbe always encouraged voting. The Rebbe said that it empowers the Jewish voice. It's critical we vote. And, and if we don't vote, we're going to be a lot worse. So if you ask asking me why we should vote, because you're going to protect yourself, you're going to protect your family, you're going to protect your community. It's critical. Whether or not so Shalom Barry, prices of, of housing, you know, when Eric Adams was borough president, right, when the mayor was borough president, we met him in the museum and we were complaining to him about the, 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 how expensive rent is in Crown Heights, right? That was the big thing then. And he says, he said, Yaakov, speak to your brothers. <laughs> they own the buildings. He started naming off all the Lubavitchers. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, and I'm sorry to be harsh about this, but that's complete nonsense. Why? The city makes it more expensive to build condos than to build a single-family house. We're not talking about Tax condos. Wise, what condos? I'm talking about condos. You can't build a condo here because you can't afford to sell a condo at a normal price. Because you tax a condo that's the correct. same way you tax a single family home. So you're, you're, that's you're, pure you're, insanity. No, so not. Th- that's no, no. A, Let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. Most rentals in Crown Heights are not condos. Condos course, are because, sold. Because condos are sold. Had, They're not no, rented. Nobody builds condos because condos are cost prohibitive. How does that have to do with the increase in rent? Because people wouldn't need to rent if you could build more, if, you, if it was easier and more profitable. Although to half build. the people renting in Crown Heights are not Lubavitch, Lubavitch Sidim. They're, they're, they're people from young professionals from other communities. If there was still a larger supply of housing stock to actually buy, their ha- the rent crisis would be less of a crisis. Maybe maybe you're right that it would be less of a crisis. I don't know how many condos have to go, you know, have to be built to. If you lower the taxes on condos, maybe maybe you're maybe you're correct. You have more incentives for condos. Maybe condos. Maybe you're correct. But there's no question. I'm, I'm, I'm not an economist. You're talking about. So you're talking about. Let's be honest here. You're talking about the price of rent in Crown Heights. I don't know the price of housing in Crown. Heights. You, have, you can make a better argument, by the way. You could say that the taxes are going up. The insurance insurance is going up, so they have no choice but to raise the rent. The reason That's the, the rent, argument the you can make when it's the raising the rent because of supply and demand. There's not enough supply. There's there's ever increasing demand. It's a problem of building. It's a problem of incentivizing building. Yeah, but if, if a bunch of Jewish landlords want to get together and say we're going to keep, keep you know David Fisher again, I, I've never rented for him, but I hear that his rentals are cheaper than some of the other buildings. Most people can't afford to give people a break on rent, like you described. Somebody bought a building w- with a mortgage a few years ago cannot afford to but take what? less rent than he's taking right now. They can't afford to. They're going to lose the building. So, like, that's not. It's simply a question of supply and demand, purely. End of story. So the question is: is what has our community leadership class, our political class, done to make a proactive case for a better housing future for our community? Not tinkering in the margins and saying, "Oh, let's futz with this rent control bill or that rent control bill." This is all. This is marginal stuff. You're talking about the difference between paying nineteen hundred dollars a month for a one bedroom or eighteen hundred dollars a month for a one bedroom. Both are unaffordable. 
both make it impossible to live in this neighborhood. Not a, not affordable housing. Affordable housing, you get to pay $1,200 for one bedroom. I don't mean affordable housing as in like the government designation. I mean the market housing, market price housing. A family with four kids needs a two-bedroom, needs a three-bedroom. A three-bedroom, yeah. What's A three-bedroom is $3,500. A four-bedroom. A three-bedroom is $3,500, unless you move into East Flatbush. And even then, it's $2,700. So again, the entire next generation of Crown Heights is being priced out. They're all going to go. And they're moving in out 20 of Crown years, In 10 years, the entire Crown Heights is going to be East Flatbush and Bubbies and Zadies. That's going to be the entire Crown Heights. So what is well, anybody not, doing well, about it's that? Not, that's not... You know, it's interesting because Base Rifka High School today has 750 students, about 600 from Crown Heights. So it's true what you're saying, the young generation is moving out. That's true. But we also have a lot of people becoming young adults that are living. A lot of families are now. The kids are hitting young adulthood. Bar- 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 enough we have the, we, I, Crown Heights has never been this big, ever. Of course, of course. It's, but there's people who just can't be here. So Shalom Bear, why don't you tell me what should be done about it? Because I don't know what should be done, but I've never heard the conversation. No, the conversation, listen, the conversation happens all the time. But you tell me, I was, so what I do is I'm, you know, I work with, when I, when I hear about a development coming up in Crown Heights, and when I was on the, uh, the ULIP committee on the board, I try to encourage ULIP? The, the land use committee. I try to encourage that um, the apartment should be built in a way where, where you know, it could accommodate Orthodox Jewish families. And the way um, affordable works is there are different brackets. And I try to encourage that the bracket should, should be affordable, that uh, somebody in Crown Heights who, who, you know, just, just getting by could be able to, you know, has the ability to potentially rent this apartment for cheap. I'm not a billionaire, Shalombera. I don't own property. None of this is I don't personal. Own, I, no, I, I don't own buildings. <laughs> None of this is personal. No, I think it is personal you. because it's, it's the lives are at stake. People are not don't have quality of life. But I don't know. Like I, there was an initiative a few years ago to try, sort of to buy a, a large property and build a, a huge development, and they ran the numbers was like a hundred dollars to do, and they'd put in I don't know how many family, and you'd look at like. What, what what is the solution? A lot of the solution We're, depends on changing the political context. So that's it. why I'm telling you. So no, no. What I mean is, what I mean is this: a lot of it has to do with tax incentives. A lot of this has to do with 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 the economics of building. Why isn't there a discussion about what it would take to make building in our neighborhood are you living, affordable? Where are you living, Schellenberg? I'm currently living between Lefferts and. No, I meant you're living in the real real world. <laughs> Of course, I'm living in the real world. There's a major discussion about uh, about about not having enough. Uh, pl- the New Yorkers having a shortage of, of, of places to live. Of course, lack of affordability. <laughs> there's there's, <laughs> it's a conversation every day. And you know, Crystal Hudson, Hudson, our council member, just did a community wide survey about it. You know, trying to um, get feedback on, on 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 what the community needs and what the priorities are in terms of building. I think we have another issue here, Shalom Bear. We have an, an anti-developer mentality in, in, in New York City now and, and also in Crown Heights. We're against, we are against developments. And a lot of develop, the developments that tried to build in Crown Heights to try to rezone and even add an element of affordability were, were either shut down or had, had tremendous um, legal challenges and other challenges that, you know, some of the progressives want it both ways. They want us to provide, and, 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 and the other hand, they do everything possible to make sure we don't provide. Okay, look, so with all that, so look, that look, all has to do with electing people that are fair-minded that will help us create uh, incentives, whether it's to build condos or to create apartments that are affordable for, for, for somebody who's making a, a decent living. Okay. 
So, or for somebody who's not making a decent living. But. So after a lot of the back and forth, I just wanted to ask the question again, and hopefully worth more of the context we've gotten to over the last couple of minutes. Where is the positive political agenda? A vision that we're fighting for. And this isn't about like any one politician or any one Oscar or anything like that. Is there a sense of we're fighting for a vision of a better future that looks like this in some way? Well, Shalom Barra, because you're being so tough on me, I'm going to answer you directly, <laughs> all right? If you think quality of life is not important, if you think preserving our, our religious lifestyle, yeshiva education is not important, if you think that small businesses are not important, I'm telling you that it's a fight for our life. We're fighting out for our life. And, and unfortunately, uh, on, on many levels, we have been losing, and that's starting to change now. So you want me to say that I'm going to – you want me to be Superman, and you want me to tell you that if you vote for so-and-so, then, then – Housing prices are going to drop 30%. I can't say that. So the question really is, what does the positive political vision of the future look like for the city? For you know, us as a community, we have so many issues from housing to transportation to crime that require really like long, not, not just fighting for survival day to day, long-term serious solutions. Things have to change in a very big way. So who's, where is that positive vision coming from? So I think you're absolutely right, Shalom Bear. There are serious issues in the city and serious problems with the community. But I think you said it right long term. This is a slow process. You know, one of the steps is getting out to vote and voting and everybody doing their part. It's not something that one person could fix. I certainly don't have the resources or the know-how to fix it overnight. But, you know, everybody doing their part. And together, we, we're going we're we're to make it better. And we've seen a lot of positive change in Granites. We've seen tremendous growth in, in the Meisters, in the schools. We've seen tr tremendous growth in the young businesses. We've seen tremendous growth, in, in, you know, in, in, the, in the small businesses. Look, look at, look at Oleg Tyra, how, how much they've grew in the last few years. Look at Beis Yosef, look at Lubavitcher Shiva. He's True. building this huge building on, on Crown and Albany. I can tell you that we're seeing tremendous change in Crown Heights. We're seeing tremendous growth. And I want, you, I want to talk to you about, for example, voting. I want to talk okay, to you about perfect. voting. So, so let's get to that. So I know you've been very, very involved in getting out the vote efforts. It's been, a, it's been a rising development over the last, I'd say, four or five years where when it comes to local elections, we actually turn out in a, in a way that we have not been turning out in the past. So what's, if we can go back and look, get a little bit of the history of that change and, and <coughs> how you see it going in the future. Well, you know, we just recently, we're doing a major campaign now to get out, to, to register people in Crownites. And I, I, I ran the numbers, and I looked at 2013 uh, uh, primary for mayor when de Blasio ran and, and Councilmember Cumbo ran at the time. And I compared it to when Eric Adams ran and Crystal Hudson ran. We did a get-out-the-vote campaign. In 2013, approximately 479 people voted that are still alive today and still registered to vote. So anybody, 479? Yeah. Now, anybody who passed away or moved is no longer in the voter list. I'm not counting them. Because I mean, many people who passed away are still on the voter list. I think <laughs> Manuka Lazarev is like 125. She's still an active voter. I mean, she's not voting, but she could <laughs> vote if she wants to. I haven't found any people that passed away that vote. I found hundreds of people that passed away that don't vote. But um, in 2013, approximately 479 people turned out. I compared it to 2021, and I looked at... People that were alive and registered in 13 and didn't vote, but did vote in 21. And I found 1,100, and I think it was 40 additional voters. Meaning to say, we went up over 200% in voter turnout from the people that were eligible to vote in 2013 and didn't vote, but chose to vote in 21. In addition... That's, 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 a, that's huge. Yeah, we also had an approximately another... Um, 
1,000 or 1,400 newly registered voters. So wow. we, we had like, I think it was approximately, we had about 2,800 voters in 2021 for mayor in the 43rd district. It's not the whole Cranites, it's limited to the 43rd district, which is most of Cranites, not including East Flappish. And 2013, we had like 479. Even in the special election for assembly member, we brought out, I think it was 679 votes around that. And we elected Brian Cunningham. If you look, if you take the the, the votes, there was only a, there was only like t- a total of, of three thousand votes in the whole, in the whole race. If you if you take the six hundred votes that Anash came out and you give it to Jelani, who was running against Brian, Jelani would have won. If you take Crystal Hudson and you look at her race and you take the votes of Anash, and you give it to Michael Hollingsworth, he would have won. So we've ele- we are electing people. The, the 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 you know you ask me what's changing. The city recognizes that we're a major voting block today. We're a major force. And there are many issues that come up every day, whether it's with community residents or whether it's with in, our institutions, our maestas, and we could get the people on the line that matter to resolve these issues. When somebody's arrested, you know, when somebody's attacked in Crown Heights, yes, the laws are, are bad. And yes, that um, the laws have to change. But we know what's going on. The cops are responding, and we have direct communication with law enforcement. It's not like it's being ignored. Right. It just, it just, <laughs> the, the, their hands are tied. And, and I, I, not the, the police are totally. I mean, what's ha- what was actually a change in mindset. What, what happened was is when these laws went into effect, and, and and you know, it became very hard for cops to be cops. Judges stopped, you know, really. Um, imposing strict strict sentences or, or, or bail, and prosecutors stopped stop prosecuting. So we saw they changed the law, and even though they, you know in some cases you you can arrest somebody and put them away, but the cops make a is it worth it for us to get to take the risk of, of of getting into trouble and responding the way we have to respond? I think that's wrong. I think they should always respond. I think it's you know it's it's a responsibility of government to, to uphold the law. But we've seen a major mind shift, and this this is affecting everyday life. By the way, everybody should know that it's the Williamsburg Showman Barbecue tonight, and I'm going late to the barbecue. I actually, my ride, Showman Cranites, was going to take me. Shout out to Showman Cranites, Williamsburg Showman, Mandy Hershka, my dear friend. And um, it's a great organization. Yeah, keeps us safe. So it's pretty yes. incredible. So... That's some of the history of how much we've improved over the years as a voting block. And I know you get a lot of credit for that. A bunch of, a bunch of other people get, get credit it's for that not, I wanted well. to say it's not just me. You know, it's, it's, I was involved, but everybody who voted gets credit. Everybody who <laughs> voted. And, of course, people like Shia Gordon, Mandy Gonsberg, even Meistus, Oliteira, Beisrifka, they've all been helpful. That's wonderful. What is Not that? supporting candidates. That they can't do. Just getting out the vote. For sure. So the question is... How much better do you think we could do? We could do much better. We could have 10,000 votes. We could elect everybody in our district. 10,000 votes, you think? I think we could have 10,000 votes. Yes. What would that take to get 10,000 votes? It would take everybody registering. It's not a big deal. Register. I mean, it's, yeah, it's going to take, for me to do it, it's going to take 100 grand or maybe <laughs> more. About $10 a vote it would cost the marketing and to get them to vote. Listen, we registered um, in 2021. We registered like, I don't know, six, 700 voters. What would that cost? Well, in Oliteira, I paid somebody about 10 bucks a head to register people. 
Meaning he was just going around and getting people to getting going. You're allowed to pay somebody to to register. You can't pay somebody to, to vote. vote. You, can't, yeah. you can't pay a person to register. You could hire somebody to register somebody. Yeah. Okay. It cost me the whole voter campaign cost. I don't know, fifty grand, including the the marketing and the outreach right. and the. But we 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 made it. You transformed. Know, not just you know how many I think forty six hundred people came out to vote for president. Forty four hundred people came out to vote for governor. These are huge numbers. Okay, that is that is huge. So ten thousand. What could we do with ten thousand votes? If we had ten thousand votes, <laughs> every we, we could we swing the mayoral the, the primary. First the of all, the, the the mayoral primary, the mayor won with less than ten thousand votes. So yes, so right there you could swing. Uh, we we may have elected the mayor. We first we were the first group that that endorsed the mayor. And many Jewish groups followed us. This so is Mayor, Mayor Adams. Mayor right. Adams. We probably did elect Mayor Adams, but we also brought we brought out probably up close to four thousand votes from Mayor Adams, right? Wow. When you say four, a little less. Le, I mean, maybe more like thirty five hundred. But if you say it's really thirty five hundred, really seven thousand, because you have to assume we're going to vote for his opponent. Right. <laughs> so we, we definitely played a major role. We elected our council member. We elected our assembly member. We played a major role in, in, in our, our own district and citywide. If we had 10,000 votes, I think we would have a, a member of Anash in at least one of these seats. That would be, that would be big. It would be very big. Yes. And I think it's, you know, then, we, we and, had a little bit then, of controversy here, but I think it, it's important, that, you know, what's important to me is... What kind that, of controversy? Well, we spoke about some events. There, were, there may be differences of opinion on, on these events, but... Or, or, or lack of or the lack of services in Crown Heights, but I think there has to be when it comes to voting, we have shared interests. We all want our children to be safe. We all want to protect the shivers. We all want to protect the interests of small businesses. And I think that um, there's no reason why we can't get behind the same candidates in, in most cases. And I know that a lot of people, when they see different groups endorsing different candidates, that they don't want to come out. Why should I vote if, if not everybody's on the same page? And I think the way for that to happen is that sometimes we agree to go with the clown. Like just now for governor, I was, you know, hesitant. I wasn't sure if I wanted to get involved in endorsing a Republican, not because I, he, he, I thought he was less of, you know, he would be, he would be a worse governor, but because I, I thought Hochul's going to win. Right. So it's just about playing, playing the odds politically. And, and, but the, the community wanted to go with the Republican, and I, and I supported the decision of the community. Who am I to go against the community? Right. So I think it's important that going into going into you know understanding that we need Achlis, we have to create a vad that represents the Meisters, represents all demographics in Crown Heights, which includes include women. They played a major role, by the way, in getting out to vote. A lot of the influencers were, were, were women that, that played a major role in, in nice. East. By the way, in East Flatbush, they, I think they have like 190. Registered voters in, in one of the districts there, and like 165 come out, which is a huge, huge. That's very impressive. Yeah, very impressive. And I think that we need Achtas, and, and we have to be on the same page, and we have to put our egos aside, and and let let majority rule. And if we want to really get everybody out, we have to have this committee, and they should make decisions on endorsements, and we should all go along with it, whether we like it or not. <laughs> so we'll finish off with two more questions. First. Operation Survival. You yeah. mentioned at the start that you're involved in that. Also, you mentioned something that's part of the work you do that crosses over into working with other communities of Crown Heights. 
So tell me a little bit about Operation Survival. What does it do and what do you do for it? Operation Survival is a drug prevention pro program which was founded by J.J. Hecht in 88. My father was its first director. We provide evidence-based life skills uh, curriculums in the schools. We're in Oliteira, we're in, 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 in Benos Chomish, uh, we're in the public schools, and we teach kids life skills. Um, we also have community events. You know, we've done events that we just did an event now on the, on the sandwich generation for people that are both caring for their children and caring for an elderly very good. Uh, parent. We also did an event on homesickness. We did an event on, on abuse. We had, I don't know if you saw Prevention 101, we were doing weekly brochures and videos in yeah. different areas of mental health. We sent a book to Oak Run Heights. We, we're, you know, this is an organization on the National Committee. And I'm proud of the work of Operation Survival. We were the first opiate prevention program. We were the first one Jewish organization to distribute naloxone. Today we don't do it because there's no need. There's so many others doing it. We were the first ones to do it. And it's a great organization. And I think there's room for another hundred such organizations. <laughs> but I, it's, 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 I'm proud of the work uh, you know, started by J.G. Hecht and my father. And I'm proud to continue in, continue in their path. Beautiful. Okay, so last question is, what do you think of Donald Trump? Kidding. I'm not sure I get you in trouble tonight. Thank you for coming, Yaakov. I really, really appreciate your time. And I hope you make the barbecue. Hope, hope, hope there's still some fresh sticks by the time you get there. Thank you. Thank you for I'll coming be back on. if there's not. Oh, you will. <laughs> <laughs> and Mertz will have you on again because this was interesting. And uh, thank you for coming with your information and with your passion. And uh, it got contentious, but I think we got something valuable today. This is contentious. You don't know what contentious is. True, true, <laughs> true. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Good night. Thank you again to Yaakov Beerman for coming on the Crown Nights Insider. On such short notice, we're very glad Yaakov managed to fit us into his very, very, very busy schedule and have this conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. If you have any questions for Yaakov, and you know, I still have questions for Yaakov, so I hope you have some questions, you can send that into podcast.crownheist.info. If this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoyed that episode enough to want to subscribe to us. So please do find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, the podcast app of your choice. We're there. We're available. Subscribe. Hit the notification button. Hit the download button. And always get the latest episode of Crown Insider delivered to your device the second it comes out. Of course, we'd like to thank Info for partnering with the Crown Insider on this podcast. Thank you to you, our loyal listeners, for being along with us on this journey. And very excited to see you again next Wednesday evening. Thank you for joining us.